What Do We Do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning. Introducing listeners to the leaders in our community. Hosted by the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen. Alongside WWJ Midday News anchor, Brooke Allen. Hey, I'm Brooke Allen. Our goal with the What Do We Do podcast is to educate listeners on topics that impact your financial growth, your retirement, and your lifestyle. And I'm Dewey Steffen. Join us twice a month as we welcome some of today's leaders in the community for conversations that can help with investment decisions so you can plan for and live your best life. Here's Dewey Steffen alongside Brooke Allen. Well, hello, everyone out there in podcast world, YouTube nation. I'm Dewey Steffen, co-host of the What Do We Do podcast. I'm so excited to be back here again for another episode. Today's episode is season two, episode nine, number 51. In today's episode, we have a guest, and I'm so excited to share today's guest with our community. He is an amazing member of our community, and he has an amazing story to tell. And with that, I'm here to remind all of you listening and all of you watching that the What Do We Do podcast is all about community. We want to be a leader in the community. We also want to give back to the community. And one way that we do that is we find other leaders in the community that have a story to tell, advice to share, and knowledge to give. And then we bring them on our podcast to share their expertise with our entire community. Today's episode, I have a gentleman who is not only a significant member of our community, but I consider him a mentor, an advisor, and a friend. And I'm going to formally introduce David Provost to all of you. But before I do that, I just want to say, David, welcome to the show. Dewey, it's great to be here. Thanks. You bet. And I'm, I'm so excited to share your story with our community, but I'm going to start with some formal comments about who you are mm -hmm. and the amazing life that you've had to this point, okay? So with that, I'm going to start with your college days. David graduated from Alma College with a Bachelor of Arts. He earned his MBA from Eastern Michigan in 1984 and earned a certificate from the University of Wisconsin School of Banking in 1985, as well as having now received three honorary doctorates. Do I call you Dr. Dave? Dr. 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 Dave. Love it. Uh, Dave started his uh, banking career with Manufacturers Bank of Detroit, which is now Comerica Bank, where he spent 13 years. Dave then established two banks. One was the Bank of Bloomfield Hills, the other the Bank of Rochester, which he then sold uh, the combined banks to Private Bank Corp. in 2005. Dave became chairman and CEO of Talmer Bank and Trust from 2008 to 2017, which then merged into Chemical Bank. Under Dave's leadership, Talmer Bank and Trust and its predecessor, First Michigan Bank, was the fastest growing bank in the country from 2010 to 2015, completing not one, not two, but nine bank acquisitions. After that, he wasn't done. David then became president and CEO of CHFC, which is the holding company for Chemical Bank, the largest headquartered in Michigan. David recently retired as CEO of TCF Bank Corp., which is now known as Huntington Bank. This merger was completed on June 9th, 2021. It's also the day that David formally retired. Is this correct, Dave? That's correct. Formally, so far, re, formally, re, formally retired from the bank. Formally retired from the bank. And we will talk about having your hands free yeah. and able to do other things, right? The regulations keep you uh, focused, but now you're on to the next chapter, which we will discuss. But first, I'm not done. David is also significantly active in the community and civic organizations. Dave serves as board of directors and chairman of the audit committee for Plastipack Packaging, a multi-billion dollar privately held international packing company. Dave also serves on the board of directors of BBG. He serves on the board of directors for Detroit Economic Club, Say Detroit, Community Foundation of Southeast Michigan, Detroit Symphony Orchestra, Board of Directors for the Detroit Athletic Club, the Detroit Crime Commission. He's on the advisory board for Detroit Regional Dollar for Scholars, as well as Presbyterian Villages of the Michigan Foundation. Dave has served as a past chairman of the board of the trustees of Alma College, and Dave has also served past chairman of the Michigan Bankers Association, Southeast Michigan Region. David, does that ring a bell? Uh, that does. That okay. uh 
Yeah, that that sums it up for for my uh, uh, charitable contributions. Well, Dave, we're not done, and I promise I'm going to stop speaking so you can hear in a moment. But you have received many awards and many significant awards. Some of them include the 2007 Outstanding Leadership Award from the Yeshiva Beth Yehuda, the largest nonprofit day school in Michigan. Also, Detroit Business 40 Under 40. Dealmaker of the Year, and Most Influential Business Professionals. David also received Eastern Michigan University's Business of the Year for 2015, Alumni-Owned Business Category. Also, two times Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, 2006-2015. Also, Pillar of the Community Award from Boys and Girls Clubs of Oakland and Macomb Counties in 2017, as well as Walsh College's Jeffrey W. Berry Award for Educational Excellence and Community Service in 2018. Finally, Foreign Policy Association Corporate Social Responsibility Award in 2019. And I'm going to wrap it all up by saying his biggest awards are being married to his wife, Christine, for 33 years, as well as his two adult children, Andrew and Allie. With that, again, I want to formally introduce Mr. David Provost to the What Do We Do podcast. Thanks again for being here, Dave. We're happy to have you. Dewey, it's great to be here. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. And because you're no longer uh, working uh, formally for the bank, you can speak freely. Our relationship, part of it is with an organization at the DAC known as the Beavers, where they say everything is off the record. Okay? This can be off the record or on the record. I'll let you choose. Yeah, Fair thanks. enough. Okay? <laughs> but with that, I did not talk about your childhood. And I'm going to start today's podcast for our listeners and our viewers by having you share, again, your uh, childhood. It's an amazing story and one that I'm, I'm, I'm sure our listeners would love to learn. Dewey, thank you very much. Um, I was very, very lucky in uh, you know my childhood. I was born in Tegu, Korea, right after the Korean War. My parents were missionaries. My mother was born in Korea. My grandparents were missionaries. And my great-great-grandfather was a missionary in Hanoi, China in 1849. So I, came, I, I really come from a, a, a line, a, a complete line of missionaries, uh, doctors, school teachers, uh, social workers. That's my entire DNA. And that that's really gives me the opportunity to really give back now that I have an opportunity to give back to the community. Well, that's amazing, Dave. When did you come to Michigan? So uh, I came to Michigan for junior and senior high school. My father took a church in Mackinac City. And I'm really glad that you make that part of your your logo, the Mackinac Bridge. I spent a lot of time giving tours of the Mackinac Bridge. Uh, I, I earned my way through college by driving and working on Shepler's Mackinac Island Ferry. Some, some people say, how many times did you go to Mackinac Island? I'd say 13 times a day. So I would go uh, back and forth and forth and back. It was a great job good opportunity. And really what it did was uh, really increase my customer service skills. Uh, Shepler's is really focused on the customer and that's a great place to grow up and great training for me. Yeah. When I heard that, I uh, thought it was amazing. You worked on a boat that went back and forth yeah. from Mackinac City to Mackinac Island yeah. Not once a day, but 13 times a day for an entire summer. And so um, after that, what got you into banking and finance, or how did you find your way down to Metro Detroit? So um, graduate, graduated from Alma College, I received a job offer from Manufacturers Bank of Detroit. Now, I say that because I applied for at 25 different places. There was a recession at the time, and I got one offer, and that was Manufacturers Bank. So you, if you think that you're, you're kind of led in a certain direction, that was it. I started as a branch management trainee as a teller. I started as a teller, great training. I, I suggest that to all bankers now. Spend three months in the, in the, you know, on the teller line, and you'll learn, about, you know, you'll learn about banking. And I worked my way up, and then I uh, ended up in private banking. Private banking to me was just the opportunity to be able to help people, and to be in banking, and I actually got paid for it. So it was uh, it was a great opportunity for me, 
And then uh, when when um, uh, a new bank was being opened up in Bloomfield Hills, I was uh, asked to lead that bank, and that got me into the CEO spot. Fantastic. The follow-up to that would be, Dave, that a lot of our listeners, a lot of our viewers are small business owners, or they, in fact, work for, um, you know, companies that uh, work with banks, deal with banks, and need banks. So with your background in banking, and we talked about it as I formally introduced you, can we kind of now talk about, uh, you know, what you see in today's current environment of banking, but not as a banker, but as maybe, you know, a customer of a bank or an employee at a company that needs a bank. Can you kind of talk about, again, how things are way different now than they were back when you started? Right. So banking has gone, uh, has really changed. No one or very few people actually come into a branch anymore. We have all these branches. They're, they're, they're underutilized. Uh, it's all gone electronic. My suggestion to people is you still need a relationship. And even if that relationship is an online relationship, you still need a relationship with an individual that knows you, that understands your, your, your family and your, and your issues, and then can solve your problem for you. If you don't have that relationship, you ask a question of the bank, and the bank doesn't answer, doesn't solve your problem. They might answer your question, but it's not solving your problem. So I suggest that you f- you form those relationships with 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 bankers, and it'll make make life a lot easier. So um, you know, for small businesses especially, you need to have that relationship. Do you have an opinion about credit unions versus banks and whether it's on the deposit side or the lending side? You know, what without getting deep, deep in the weeds, what are the differences and what should, you know, our listeners and our viewers kind of understand about how the banking system works? Well, when you're talking about credit unions and banks to a banker, it's like talking about Michigan and Ohio State. So <laughs> it's, it, it's, 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 it, it, we're very biased. Um, you know, we think banks do a, a great job of satisfying all your needs. Uh, credit unions really do a good job uh, at, at the local level handling individuals for um, you know smaller transactions. Um, you know that's really the difference that that uh, that I would say. Um, but banks are there and really can grow with you as you grow over time and as your as your needs increase. I always kind of thought that uh, the credit union might be better on the deposit side, but when you needed uh, lines of credit or business types of loans, that it may be beyond the you know the the skill set or the availability of the credit unions. Right. No, uh, no, they're getting better. Uh, their their credit unions are getting bigger, and they're getting uh, they're getting uh, more expertise in those areas. So I don't want to uh, you know downplay that you know too much. They're good competition for us. Uh, we we. Uh, compete against credit unions as much as we compete against the bank down the street. So it's it's all in the financial services. But what is happening now in the global financial services is banks become less and less relevant for a lot of products. Products are being uh, uh, stripped away from the from the banks. One exi- because of regulatory issues and so forth. One, for example, is mortgages. You know, Dan Gilbert's a great friend of mine. You know, he taught me mortgages back in back in uh, 1989, uh, but they are taking the the bulk of that business because banks can't deal with the regulations. And the same thing is goes for securities products and different types of things that there there are other avenues that a consumer can get those products cheaper than dealing with a bank, and that's that's unfortunate. And that you you talked about all these banks being merged that I was a part of. That's the reason for the mergers is, is we need, as a banking industry, we need to cut costs. The way we cut costs is to get, get bigger and uh, that we don't need as many branches. We don't need as, mu- as much staff. So we've seen that uh, consolidation continue um, this year in particular. Um, so is it going to continue? At some point, is there just going to be one 
bank that buys all the rest. Obviously, um, that's an exaggeration. But um, is this going to merger and acquisition going to continue? And other banks, there are new ones starting. So is this a perpetual hamster wheel? Um, yeah, as as banks merge, that there's usually a displacement of, of bankers, and the history uh, is, and they go start another bank, and it um, uh, you know perpetuates itself. But today, it's very hard to make money as a small bank, and you need to you need to have a return on your investments for your shareholders. Otherwise, they're they're not going to invest with you. They're gonna uh, they're gonna go and buy Tesla or something. So, you need to be of scale to be be profitable. And the way that uh, that's happening in the banking business is, is they continue to continue to merge. When I started, there was uh, probably 16 or 17,000 banks. And now they're less than 5,000. So what's going to happen? Uh, Canada has a model where there's five or six banks in Canada. Um, but now the regulators are a little nervous about banks being too big. You've heard about too big to fail, right? So regulators are nervous about banks being really too big. So there's a, a lot of pressure on large mergers that maybe they're not going to happen. So we were fortunate to have our merger happen before the, the uh, regulatory environment changed. But uh, I don't know if you're going to see them at that level, the big level, but you're going to see a lot of small banks merge. Uh, makes sense. The question would then be going to online banking. For our younger audience, they don't know what traditional branches yeah. are and they don't bank there. For our mature audience, I don't use the word old, Dave, because right. I'm now 50, so we use mature. So for our more mature audience, they don't want to do online banking because their money may disappear. It won't even show up where it's supposed to be. So, A, can you talk about both of those from the uh, actual perspective, but also, you know, just the psychological perspective that I just described? Right. So, uh, you know, you mentioned my children. A perfect example. I don't think they've been in a bank uh, that I haven't been a part of. They haven't been in a bank. They do everything online. They're very comfortable online. Uh, they use online payment services, and um, whether they need a bank or not, is they're ambiguous to that. Now, the uh, more mature customers want to come in. Like that. They want to sit down. Yeah, I'm getting to be more mature. They want to sit down. They want to want to really, really have have that connection. But uh, unfortunately, with the pandemic, they couldn't come into the bank. Very few customers came into the bank, and so even that. A segment of our um, of our customer base has now gone online and become much more um, comfortable online. So I think you're going to see more and more of that from a profitability standpoint. Um, and this is again a result of COVID, I think, and the transition to a more technology based. You know, call it work from home if you want. But just in general, if the more mature um, uh, banker or you know individual had no choice but to you know, use everything yeah. technology-driven. Yeah. Uh, from our perspective here at Great Lakes Wealth, it becomes more efficient. A lot of ways, there are some inefficiencies for sure. But from a cost saving, so is this yeah. where it becomes more profitable for the bank, or you know, just it even more? I don't know, more profitable for the the client too because the the fees are lower, or kind of how does it work from a you know an aggregate? So eventually, it becomes more profitable. But what today, what we have to do is we have to serve both the online and the in-person. So really we have a double cost today because you have to have, uh, you have to invest in, in both, you know, in both uh, avenues. Event, event, and it's very hard to close a branch. So we have branches that, uh, you know, are in markets that really you wouldn't put a branch in today. But if you close a branch, people get pretty upset. So we, we, we don't like to close branches. Makes sense. So down the road, uh, let's see the view five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out. Where do you see, um, you know, banks as an as a industry and the banking uh, environment? So less and less branches, you know, more and more online, less banks, more customer service. You, you need to be able to uh, serve your customers, whether it's, uh, you know, online, over the phone, uh, but you need to be able to service those customers. And I go back to my original point. That's why you want a relationship. You really want to have a relationship where somebody, you can pick up the phone, somebody's going to respond to you, and they know, know, know your history. 
Write it down. Podcast listeners, YouTube viewers, you heard it here first. Let's see what happens five years, 10 years, 15 years out. We will keep score. And we will uh, we will review. Thank you for that. All right, now we're going to go on to the next topic, which is the other side. David, I also know that you um, do invest. You have um, multiple investments and in multiple you know categories. So again, for our small business owners, for our listeners, our viewers that are trying to be entrepreneurial, are trying to we uh, talk about uh, streams of income. You may or may not know this, but we say it all the time on our show. The average millionaire has seven. Streams of income. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. Right. Well, we don't like to be average around here, Dave, so we recommend to our clients right. and our listeners and our viewers to have 11. Okay? At least 11. Perfect 10, but one more just for good measure. Okay? A perfect 11. So with that, can we talk about put on your small business owner hat, your medium-sized business owner hat, or your employee hat when you want to have a side hustle? Post-COVID, as we are now into 2022, where do you think – Things need to go for businesses to thrive and for individuals that are trying to make their best life happen to thrive. Any comments about where we were versus where we are now and where we need to be? And so uh, the first thing I like is your philosophy of uh, diversification, having different streams of income. I have been involved with so many companies that have failed and be devastating for um, you know, for the owners and the, and the uh, employees. Having multiple sources of income is really a very prudent, uh, prudent thing to do. I think you don't put all your eggs in, in one basket because I've seen those baskets that have, have, uh, have broken. Well, we're going to stop there, and we're going to uh, tangent out because I don't know if you know this, but the stock market finished 2021 with another you know near record performance. Okay, and so uh, going back to 2009 to 2021, it's basically been all straight uphill. Okay, so um, I'm being a little sarcastic that things don't fail, Dave. Things investments. Don't ever go down. Everything works out. And if you're in something that's not working out, you just need to put it into something else, and that will go up. Because, um, again, the last 10 to 12 years, people have seen nothing but primarily, even through the COVID dip, just do some hocus-pocus in D.C. or some hocus-pocus around the world. Things take off again, right? So um, before we go on, comment to the reality that, Again, things don't always go up, and there are uh, challenges that are always there. So when you, uh, you know, when you've been around for a couple of years, you you remember the 1986 crash, where so many of you know people that were in these options and so forth really lost you know lost everything in one day. You can't it just it was gone in one in one day. Uh, then you had the uh, you know the dot com uh, crash where. Uh, uh, conversations about DoubleClick and all these internet companies all of a sudden just kind of disappeared. You couldn't get out. Uh, and then again in, uh, you know, 2008. So I, in my lifetime, I've been through three of these. And when you, when you see those, you know, you don't want to get conservative, be too conservative because you'll miss out. If you got conservative in 2008, you've missed out on, on the, one of the greatest bull runs in, in history. But, uh, you know, you also want to mentally be prepared that one day, you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a downturn. And I know you've, uh, you know, advised, you know, me and, and the clients on your clients, the fact that you want to, you, you want to be ready for that and you have to be diverse, you know, have to be diversified. So, you know, that's my investment philosophy. I keep a little bit in cash. I keep a little bit in bonds, a little bit in stock. And then I invest in myself, so you want to talk about your your small businesses and so forth. I really love investing in companies that uh, I have uh, an in- input into their management or that I know the person that does. I get a lot of uh, joy out of investing in young people. We call them, um, you, know, you know, we call these search funds where I will invest in a young person to spend a year or two trying to find a company. And when they find a company, then they bring it back, and then we decide whether we're going to, it's, it's a good deal, and we're going to invest in it. And those have been very, very successful for me and very rewarding because you can take an individual that uh, really wants to do something and, and give them a chance. Uh, so that, that's search funds. I like to invest in those. 
Um, I also like to in, invest in different companies where, again, I have a, uh, a, a influence on. Hey guys, it's Brooke. I want to take a minute to talk to you about Dewey Stefan and his great team at Great Lakes Wealth. Do you feel overwhelmed managing your assets? Well, Great Lakes Wealth offers Wall Street solutions with Main Street values. That is really what they are all about. They will help you develop a custom financial plan utilizing all of your assets and keeping your goals in mind. That is what Great Lakes Wealth is all about, helping you and your family achieve your financial dreams. So go to greatlakeswealth.us to schedule an appointment today and tell them Brooke sent you. Birds from the wise. Uh, on that topic, now that you are no longer uh, formally with TCF or Huntington Bank, what are you doing um, to stay busy? Um, Christine, I'm sure she has a honeydew list, and I'm sure you're on it first thing every morning and on it all day. Or maybe your honeydew list is uh, get out of the house yeah. and don't come back until dinner. But um, seriously, what... Uh, you know, what is your current chapter and then what do you see yourself as an entrepreneur now? And then maybe even talk about, uh, you know, your children and what you're encouraging them. And I'm going to, then I'm going to take a second after that. I'm going to tell our audience an awesome story that you told me some time ago about your, uh, your children, but uh, please. So, um, in fact, the conversation came up uh, this week when my wife said, I thought you were going to retire because I am, I am as busy now as I've ever been, even when I was the CEO uh, you know, uh, of the bank. Um, I'm working with charities. I'm working with entrepreneurs. Uh, I am spending a, you know, a lot of time giving back to the community, and it goes back to my, my roots. You know, my parents gave their whole lives for giving back to my community, and I have the opportunity to do that. So getting involved with charities. I love charities that are small, that I can that I can contribute to, and uh, and have some influence on. Uh, that, that's a great great way to spend time. What type of charities do I look for? My parents were involved in education. When they were in Korea, they set up a school, junior and senior high school in Korea. At that time, you had to pay to go to junior and senior high school, and most of the people in the in the countryside could not afford to go to school. And that's where my father's mission was, was setting up a Christian-based school that would uh, help these students. He started with 30 students the first year. And he got scholarships from people in the United States. I can remember, you know, uh, licking the envelopes and the stamps and asking for $12 a year you could sponsor a student. Uh, and then he grew that to over 3,000 students. So... Uh, that was education. I grew up with that, going to the school and, and, and helping out. I would actually teach English. You asked me if I could speak Korean. Yes, I went to a Korean school, but I, could, I, would, I would teach English at, at uh, you know, nine years old. So it was, it was kind of, uh, it was fun for me to be able to do that. But education, I know the importance of education. And in, in uh, you know, our system in our country today is, you know, is not fair. Our education system is not fair. And so I spend a lot of time helping uh, underprivileged students uh, get an education, especially in college. I was giving away scholarships for a while with a, with a group of, uh, you know, a group of my friends. We were giving away scholarships. We have uh, 500 applications, and if you didn't get the, if you didn't win the scholarship, we only gave one a year, full ride, everything completely covered. In, in honor of a friend that died, uh, Rob Sheely. And we wanted to rock someone's world. What happened was, at the beginning, if you didn't, 15 years ago, if you didn't get our scholarship, you didn't go to college. And then I saw it change. Everybody's going to college. They're just getting loans. The scholarship wasn't important anymore. They, they wanted a scholarship, but if they didn't get it, they would get a loan. So we moved our emphasis, and I, I now uh, mentor 25 people from Detroit that are going to college, not by giving them a lot of tuition money, but mentoring them. How to, what, what, it's, what, it, what is it like going to college? I call it giving them beer money so they can go to the football game, clothes, laptops, uh, and really helping them. They, they all have an assigned mentor, so the success rate for those individuals is much, much higher. Probably fifty percent higher than somebody just going to college uh, from a from a low income area. So spent a lot of time doing that. The next love I have in the banking business is housing, low income housing. 
And this is not your traditional low-income housing, but this is housing, affordable housing. So what I did was I, uh, we went to um, the mayor of Detroit, helped us find a neighborhood. We call it the Mary Grove District by Mary Grove College. And what we did was uh, we gave $25,000 to anybody who bought a house in that, in that district from the land bank to fix up the house, and we'd finance it. And uh, it was great on paper, but what we found was people didn't know how to fix up the houses. They didn't know the financing, and they, they would spend the 25000 before they got the roof on. So we changed it, the philosophy, and what we did was we fixed up the house. We would sell the house at the market value, and our goal was to lose less than 25000 on every house we sold. It's a great business model. Okay. So we would help a lot of people get affordable housing. So education and housing is really how I like to spend a lot of my charity time. Well, I had heard the story about you and, again, your friends coming together privately with your own personal funds in honor of uh, the gentleman you mentioned. And, again, uh, rocking someone's world every year with a full scholarship, including uh, books and clothes and that beer money, right? Yeah. So um, I'm excited to hear that you've uh, been able to evolve or to f analyze and evaluate and have taken it to a new level. So um, our friendship started as a mentorship where um, I was a young lad. You were not even mature yet yourself. <laughs> and uh, I would always observe. I would, I would pay attention. I would see what you would do, whether it was in your community uh, or, again, to, um, you know, friends in need. And I, think, yeah, I think you should tell the audience where that originally met. I will. And I was uh, teasing Dave before uh, the podcast today that uh, we met in 1986. Okay. And I learned earlier today that that was also the year that Dave met his uh, business partner, but also the year that he met his wife, his business partner for life, Christine. Right. And then I said, Hey, we met in 1986. So it was like the trifecta for Mr. There Dave Provost, okay? <laughs> so with that, audience, I've said this before in our podcast, uh, episode one, I go in detail, but I uh, owe a lot of uh, who I am today as a man um, to the mentors that I had at Birmingham Country Club. And you are certainly um, one of the few at the top of that list that weren't just there uh, for me to carry your bag around for four hours for a measly three or four or $5 tip. Uh -huh. Back then, that was a big money, though, yeah. by the way. Yeah. Uh, but no, so I um, I spent uh, my summers uh, caddying and working in uh, the shoeshine room as well as the uh, bag room and the first tee, kind of um, always around Birmingham Country Club, mm -hmm. um, hustling, making a buck. Um, and so from 1986 until almost I graduated college in the uh, early 1990s, uh, you were there as uh, just someone I looked up to and I worked for. And then um, as I graduated college, I came back. Uh, everyone knows part of the story, but um, I came back to you when I started my career in investment services and said, hey, uh, Dave, I know you're, you just opened a bank, Bank of Bloomfield Hills. Uh, can you kind of mentor me? And so I'll leave it there that you kind of gave me some advice. And also I said, hey, I'm going to join the Detroit Athletic Club. Would you mind being one of my sponsors? So for all of our uh, Detroit Athletic Club brothers and sisters that are listening or watching today, yes, David Provost was one of my two uh, members sponsoring me, so you have him to blame, partially. Okay. But uh, yeah, so with that, I wanted to say a real quick story about your son and daughter. And again, our show is about community. It's about teaching and sharing our life stories. I've said, uh, you know, some of mine with my children, uh, I tell them all the time, CYB, count your blessings, right? I also tell them when they're out doing something, not don't do that, that's bad. But I always say MGD, make good decisions. I kind of put the onus on them when they're five or, you know, my oldest is 18, make good decisions. So it's kind of on them to own it. Well, audience, um, Dave, again, has shared many stories with me over the years. And one is I was talking to Dave about my children and, you know, what I should do as they're getting older. And I want you to tell the story about how uh, I think your children are both in New York and how you um, you encourage them to have dinner once a month. Um, right. Does that still happen? And maybe tell that story and what you do. Right. So, um, you know, my uh, I have a son and a daughter, uh, both in New York City. And uh, sometimes they don't get along. I mean, it's you know siblings, um, but we think that we think that it's important for them to uh, you know have a have a, a relationship. So, what Christine and I do is we uh, encourage them to go out for dinner once a month together, and we're going to pick up the tab. 
And what they do is they try and finagle the most expensive dinner they can, and they work together of how they're going to take advantage of this opportunity. Do they, like, get a helicopter from down, you know, at uh, the financial district to yeah. take it up to no, the yeah. <laughs> No, it's just for the food. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, so they have, a, they have a great time in, in really scheming to, of how they're going to uh, take advantage of this opportunity. But what it does for them is it gets them to work together, and uh, I think it, it's, it really helped grow that relationship. Yeah, and I, I, I agree 100%. So for anyone out there listening, again, it doesn't have to be a fancy restaurant yeah. in you know New York City or even anywhere in Metro Detroit. Again, it can just be something to encourage your children to do together yeah. at some period of time um, to have that bond, right? And um, uh, family should be everything uh, if it's a healthy environment and a healthy relationship. So that's something that I learned. And um, I have my own little twist on that with my three amigos. <laughs> and uh, so uh, that's, again, something that uh, I'm glad you're able to share with our audience. I'm going to pivot again, and we're going to talk about a couple topics du jour. This is a French word, du jour. Have you heard of this? Yes, I've been okay. to France. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about kind of what's going on in this current, uh, hopefully going to be coast post-COVID world here right. soon. But the current uh, themes of the day, we're going to go through them one at a time. One is the great resignation. Now that we have full employment again, right. everyone is now wanting to become unemployed on their terms. So the great resignation, we're going to talk about inflation. Right. We're going to talk about um, what looks to be a rising interest rate environment over the next so long that you'll tell us how long that's going to be. And then the fact that we're all living longer, so longevity and centurions. Um, and then uh, the global economy versus an isolationist economy and how that all wrapped up together. Um, you see the world in the future versus the world today. So the first one, you know, let's go through the great resignation. What do you think about the, um, uh, the labor force and, um, you know, employment and unemployment and the people's uh, search for their future? Well, it's, it's very perplexing of, of where all these jobs or where all these people went. Um, but if you really dig down into it, there are other people can live cheaper now than they used to before because they can work from home and they can, they can do things that um, uh, give them more time. And I think that that's going to be a part of the future is, it, is there is a, a supply and demand uh, for, for uh, employees and right now we've seen it. There's lack of employees, so the the wages are, are going up. They talked about we're going to have a minimum wage of fifteen dollars. Remember that? That was six months ago, and now you can't hire anybody for less than twenty. Or it's it's you know it works its way through the through the system. Then people will now come back because they can get paid properly, and and, and they'll come back. So you're going to see that see that happening. But this also is a great opportunity for people that don't like their jobs. If people come in, if somebody comes in and complains about their job to me, I said, do me a favor, right? Take a week off and go find another job and then come back to me and we'll have a conversation. So if you don't like your job, take this as an opportunity. Go, you know, you, you know, go, go find another, uh, another job and you'll be better off for it. And your, and the, your present company will be better off for it and your future company will be better off for it. So take, take that opportunity and, uh, and, and go out and, and do something. I, I left the bank when I left manufacturers bank, when I was 34 years old to try and set up a brand new bank. I mean, it, it, it was scary. It was a scary time, but that investment in myself worked out, and I'd encourage your, your listeners to do the same thing. Amen. Live your best life. But don't take an easy route. Do your research. Do your homework. And don't just uh, leave in a huff and a puff one day, right? right? Find a mentor, someone to talk to, to evaluate what you're about to do. So we agree with that. We actually had a podcast on recently about the Great Resignation, and we hit on all those points. So absolutely. Right. I, don't, I don't know what the exact number is, but I would say that uh, at least 20% of the people that resign uh, from the bank actually came back right so you you as an employer you don't want to you don't want to um uh be disrespectful for the person that's leaving you, you want to celebrate the fact that they are they're um 
you know, have another opportunity. And as an employee, you don't want to be re- disrespectful because you might want to come back one day. And you also want to have that reference. That reference for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Next one. Inflation. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of this word inflation? We don't even know what this means. We actually just did a podcast, Dave. And uh, well, if you if you were around in 1980, you would have know what it. You would you would remember the fact that prices were doubling and doubling and and, and doubling, and interest rates were 18 and 20 percent for a car loan. Um, you couldn't get a mortgage because the the rates were were so high. So you had to get a land contract. The uh, inflation is really the killer of wealth. And especially for people who aren't investing with companies like you, because that dollar is just not going to buy what it what it could today. So today, to, uh, today the inflation numbers came out; they're off the charts, and it's it's uh, it's really driving uh, taking wealth away from from uh, individuals that have saved. Do you think it's going to continue? Um, the Federal Reserve also announced that, you know, they stick pat that it's transitory. They said now by the end of 2022, things will moderate. We uh, are on record here at the What Do We Do podcast and Great Lakes Wealth saying we're not so sure. They may come down a little bit from these levels, but then we actually think we can see evidence that they'll even go higher um, into 2023 and 2024 and beyond. So hey, from your chair, um, from you know your perspective, where's this inflation? Are we back to 18 and 20 percent down the road? Or no, what do you think? I don't think we'll We'll go to that, but if um, normal inflation is usually five or six percent, we we haven't we haven't experienced that in the last uh, you know 10, 12 years. But so you, you're going to get up to that. But right now it's higher than that. As the numbers come out, it's higher than that. And it, but it'll stabilize, I think. Um, I don't think it's going to go off the charts. But you need to be prepared for a six or seven percent inflation rate. And, uh, you know, you need to be invested properly to take advantage of that. We agree 100%. Be invested properly. The next uh, topic would be, again, rising interest rates. And as you just said, if inflation six or seven and be invested appropriately, we used to say around here, cash is king. But in the last 18 to 24 months, we've said cash is trash. We've said you have to have enough uh, for three to six months of emergency expenses. And it doesn't mean you have to go out and buy all the micro cap, small cap investments that you can find. But you need to be able to keep up with inflation and in a rising interest rate environment, you need to change your investment portfolio around a little bit as well. So uh, what do you think uh, is going to happen with interest rates for this year and then in the years to follow? So interest rates will go up. You cannot have inflation that is higher than the interest rates because people who want to invest in, in bonds and, and, and fixed rate securities want to make something on their money. And if you're investing at 2% and an inflation rate is 6%, you're actually losing 4%. It's not hard math. And so uh, people aren't going aren't to invest and they'll force the, interest rates, uh, force the interest rates up. Right now, the interest rates are artificially low because of the government buying program. And they're, st- they're slowly uh, weaning off of the, that where the government is setting the rates. And when the market sets the rates, they're going to go up, and they're going to go up very fast. So if you're out there looking for a mortgage or something, get it quick. Oh, wow. I like that. You're yeah. On the record, folks, rates are going to rise quickly. Um, interesting, and I, I, I think I tend to agree. Uh, along with that and cash, we're going to go to a different topic. On, uh, I'm going to pivot again and talk about um, digital assets or digital currencies and traditional uh, cash and the printing of all this money, artificially low rates and tons of money. Where are we going to be in the future as it relates to um, you know the dollar and the valuation, strong dollar, weak dollar versus other currencies, including this new currency, it's actually 12 years old now, called uh, Bitcoin yeah. and these other uh, digital coins? So... Um as you keep as you keep spending money as, a, as the government and the printing all this money, 
that devalues the, the uh, currency against other other countries. Now, if everybody's doing the same thing, you kind of stay stay even. But that's not happening today. And so our currency will start being devalued, which means it's going to cost you more to buy goods and services from from overseas. And when you travel overseas, you're going to be shocked at how much it, how much it costs. That's what happens when our, our, our dollar devalues. When you talk about Bitcoin, as a banker, we're not really fans of Bitcoin because two, two reasons. One is all of our ransomware, extortion attempts, uh, uh, drug dealing, gun dealing is all handled through Bitcoin. And one day, my prediction is, you've heard it here first, what, that the government is going to get very involved in Bitcoin. And because the government wants to have control in, in the last regulation that they were, they uh, put out as a, as a test, the government was asking us as a bank to report every transaction of $600 or more. Well, that's, you know, people aren't going to really, really put up with that. So they're going to go someplace else, cash, Bitcoin, and so forth. So that I think has artificially raised the price of Bitcoin my personal opinion, and when uh, uh, if the government really gets involved, they might uh, uh, discourage Bitcoin, and and uh, you're going to see a price drop. You heard it here first. What about uh, gold and precious metals, or oil and commodities? They're hedges against inflation. Sure. They also are alternatives to traditional currencies uh, from a store of value. Something that uh, maybe the cryptocurrencies are not quite yet. But um, what are your thoughts on other in investments that are known as hard assets? Yeah, so I, I like to have a diversified portfolio. Um, I've, I've owned those assets before. They've worked great as a hedge. Um, but you don't see those assets going up by $10,000 in a month. They, you know, they're very stable. There's a market. Um, it's all a supply and demand, just like Bitcoin and all the other, other um, investments. It's a supply and demand. But it's a, it's a very uh, stable, relatively stable market, and it, it has acted very well as a hedge. Awesome. Um, we're going to finish this topic up with one final question, which would be, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, let's say for the next five to 10 years, if I was that student that you were mentoring and I just, uh, you know, inherited or saved some money, let's say a hundred thousand dollars. I've got a hundred thousand dollars that I've saved, uh, for the next five to 10 years, you know, without getting into the weeds about all of the uh, specifics of that person, what, you know, what, would be a good diversified portfolio, you know, mostly growth, mostly whatever it is. I'm just, I'll leave it there. Where would you tell them broadly, put your money into this and then set it and forget it or put it here in day trade, you know, et cetera. Right. So uh, that's not my expertise. That's your expertise. So I would refer them to refer them to you. I'm not, uh, you know, that's greatlakeswealth.us. <laughs> I like a balanced portfolio and uh, you know, I'll let you work on the, uh, on the particulars of that, but the, the the key is that you invest the money, and it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand dollars. You could start with you know a hundred dollars, put it in every every week, every month, whatever, and you build that up. And if you start young, you will be very surprised, and you could see these tables, especially if you use a four hundred one k or some tax deferred mechanism, how much that grows when you get to be somebody old like me. You're not old. You're just mature, my friend. Uh, but yes, I will echo Dave's uh, comments there. Go to our website, greatlakeswealth.us. And at the bottom, we do have calculators. We do have all the tools so you can just see for free the power of compounding. And you can, and we've said this before on the show, you can start with $100 and you can add $10 a week and you will see. Uh, we've said before, Dave, the uh, rule of 72, right? If you get uh, a 10% return on your money, simple math, you'll double it every seven points two years. If you uh, get a 7.2% return on your money, it doubles every 10 years. Simple math, like you said, but money in the bank or money on this table doesn't earn anything and you actually lose with inflation. So again, we want to say this loud and proud because so many people, you know, um, are 
not being proactive. They're just kind of sitting there dormant, and we uh, we want to encourage success. Fair enough? Yep. Okay. Well, now we're going to get into my favorite part of the show, Dave. This is called the What David Do segment, okay? We all get to hear what do we do. It's fantastic. But today, this is your show, your segment. So we want to ask you, what is one thing that you would go back and tell your 18-year-old self or the 18-year-old young men and women out there today? What David do? So what I would do if I was 18 years old today is I would invest more in myself. You know, I had a job. I got a paycheck. I did did uh, very nicely. I was able to buy a car and 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 go to college. Um, after college, I was I got a job. I had an apartment and and was able to to, to live a very uh, a comfortable life. But what I would have done when I was eighteen is I would have maybe had, as you said, a side hustle. I would have I would have looked at opportunities where I could invest in myself and and have a have a side side company. Uh, learn about life, learn about business, uh, and um, build some wealth that way. The other thing I would have done is I would have saved more money. I don't think I would have had to, would have had to, you know, get that new car or whatever. I could have, I could have invested more, and uh, it might have worked out better for me. Well, I appreciate that, and that's uh, that's so true. So I hope all of our listeners and all of our viewers uh, paid attention to that because it is so true. Invest in yourself. And uh, start young and save. Uh, along with that, I'm going to ask you, um, if you can, before we wrap up, tell us a few, if you're willing to, of your biggest successes and maybe one or two, if there are any, of your uh, maybe biggest failures or uh, missteps. So let's start with the missteps. I have uh, had probably a dozen very bad days where something bad has gone on, gone wrong. I've lost a bid or I've lost a customer or, or something has not worked out the way it was drawn up in the morning. But in m- almost all of those cases, nine, nine out of 10, something then opened up in the future. I didn't get the job. We have time. I'll tell the story about I applied for a job of a president of a bank. I put a great presentation together. I just nailed the interview. The next day, they called and says, we're, we're taking somebody else. Two days later, someone called wanting to set up a, a bank. And would, would I be interested? Wait a minute. I have the whole plan already here. It's a great opportunity. The bank that I set up became very successful. The job that I was applying for, that bank really, really was sold and 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 failed. So, what I what I what I tell my you know you know the students I'm mentoring, you are going to have some bad days, but don't look at that as as uh, the end of the world. Look at that as an opportunity that something else is going to open up for you. So that's that's my uh, you know. You know, bad days. We we bid on a bank in uh, Michigan called uh, Fidelity Bank, based in Dearborn. It was in the front page of Cranes that I was going to win that bid and buy that bank. And when the bid came out, I didn't get it. In fact, Huntington bought it. <laughs> so Huntington bought the bank. Everything comes full circle. Dave. Huntington bought the bank. I was devastated. That we didn't, I'd already had the plan made out of who's going to go where and, and what happened. Less than a week later, we had an opportunity to buy a bank in, um, in uh, Warren, Ohio, that was 10 times the size of the bank that we were looking at. And so the door closed, another door opened. Um, successes, uh, I've been very, very fortunate in life uh, starting out. I say I, I, I was born on third base, emotionally, spiritually, but in the I was born in the dugout, financially. You know, my father made six hundred dollars a month. You know, I bought my clothes once a year from the Sears and Robot catalog, and I was lucky because I was the oldest. My brother always got my leftovers. 
So, I mean, I, I you know, when you start there, you, you appreciate, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you really uh, appreciate life. So, um, you know, meeting my uh, wife, my business partner and you, the trifecta in, in, 19, everyone. in 1986, what a year. Um, but, you know, having the opportunity to uh, start a bank when I'm 35 years old uh, and then to buy these banks, uh, we bought 14 banks and a lot of them were distressed. Uh, it was a, financially, it was fortunate because the FDIC in essence paid you to take the bank. But when we took those banks, we saved a lot of jobs. We saved a lot of jobs in Michigan, Ohio, or Wisconsin. We invested in Michigan when no one else would invest. This was in 19, or 2009, 2010. No one would invest in Michigan. We're the only bank to bid on these uh, nine banks that you mentioned. We're the only bank to bid. Uh, so it, it uh, was, was very rewarding, and, uh, and I, I consider it a, a big success. Uh, absolutely. And we go back to the, um, you know, the introduction in the beginning and all of your successes. It doesn't come easy. You uh, had to take a chance in 2009, 2010, and you had to uh, have investors give you money to invest in these banks per se and go through that. And there's a reason why no one else would invest because it wasn't safe. It was unpredictable and probably a dumb idea to a lot of people, right? So we go back to, again, you have to invest in yourself, believe in yourself and do all of that. So again, your success wasn't just, again, because you were in the right place at the right time. You right. were prepared, I think, also. Is that fair enough? Yeah, it's 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 not like buying a lottery ticket, uh, but... You want to be prepared. And uh, the other thing I tell mentors is even if you're the 12th person on the bench on the basketball team, you're way at the very end, you might, that coach might call you. And you might get out there, and there's no time left on the clock, and you got to shoot that free throw. And you better be ready for that mentally. Uh, that's happened to me where I told the story. I, was, I grew up in Korea. I didn't know how to play football. And I went out for the football team in, in high school. And the coach said, what position do you play? I said, I don't even know how to play. He said, stand next to me. You're going to be the third-string quarterback, carry the clipboard. And the second week of the season, the first-string quarterback broke his arm. The fourth week of the season, the second-string quarterback broke his leg. I had four weeks to get ready, and I'm the first-string quarterback. And uh, you have to be ready because you never know when you're going to get that call. Amen. Agree 100%. We're going to wrap up here in a minute, but I'm not going to get you uh, out of here without telling our audience your philosophy on things versus experiences, right? A lot of people want things, and we'll leave it at that. So talk about your philosophy of having things versus experiences, life experiences. Right. Um, you know, you like to have things... I like to be comfortable with things, but there's always a bigger boat. Somebody always has a bigger boat. Somebody always has a bigger house. You're never going to win that race. What I love to do is, is the experiences and doing something unique, traveling, going, going to different uh, organizations and, and uh, you know, experiencing something uh, with, a, with a, a good good chef for, uh, uh, I'm involved in the Detroit Symphony. I don't know anything about the symphony. You know, and I've been learning the symphony. It's experiences. Traveling to, to Africa, to Korea, to, to uh, wherever, and just learning about life uh, is, is really where I want to spend my time and, and my effort. Um, I also love to play golf because golf gives you the opportunity to have an experience in a lot of different great places in the, in, in the world, but also to spend time with three other people. Where else do you get to spend time with, with three other people for four hours with no cell phones? It's just a great experience. Fantastic. I appreciate that as well. And please, to our podcast listeners and YouTube viewers, uh, write that down. Uh, things, you know, are just that inanimate objects, purses, cars, boats, whatever. But experiences truly bring a community together. Whether that's you with your family, take you know, take time with your children, your significant other, your parents, those that are very mature. But also, again, um, 
uh, appreciate the experiences that are there. And they don't have to cost a lot of money either, right? So we think that's very important. That's something else I've learned from you. Uh, Dave, we're out of time. I know that uh, um, you want to stay. I would love for you to stay for another hour. But um, with that, you know, we, again, appreciate you coming on. This is Season 2, Episode 9, Number 51. And as we always say, uh, we are 51 episodes in, Dave, but we're just getting started. Thanks so much for the time to come out today. I'll see you again soon. But to our listeners and our viewers, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. And we'll do this again. Thanks again, my friend. Great. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.